0: Good evening. We're going to begin with number two. Number two. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly sing or the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. Glory in excelsis day of course means glory to God in the highest. Number
1: two. Angels, we Amen. have their
0: some here like Lydia who will attend to the things that are spoken. We pray for thy blessing. We pray for salvation. We pray that wherever the gospel is proclaimed tonight, that God would draw near in each of those meetings, in all of those meetings, and bless for thine own glory and the salvation of precious souls. We take a moment to pray for our nation, for its preservation, Lord. There are so many influences at work that wish to rend the nation and We pray that Thou wilt be pleased to preserve our leaders, to preserve the nation, to grant the prolongation of the liberties that we have enjoyed for so long. And we would give thanks to Thee, even for the privilege of being here tonight. Bless Thy word we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to read again in the Gospel of Luke, but this time in chapter one. Luke chapter one. chapter 1 Prophecy has to do with the nation of Israel, it's Michael. Michael who comes, who stands for the nation, the the prince that stands for the nation. But when there is a communication or a prophecy that has to do with the Lord Jesus, almost invariably it's Gabriel. Even um, in that very famous um, chapter 9 of Daniel, where the great prophecy is given of the 70 weeks, it's there that we read about the Messiah being cut off and so that communication was in the hand of Gabriel because it pertained to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So verse 27, he sent to a virgin a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now what we are about to read is the explanation of how the conception of the Lord Jesus was free from the taint of Mary's sin. Joseph was not involved, but Mary, of course, was a fallible person, a sinner like us. This is how this conception was completely without sin. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, because of that, That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now the carol that we're looking at tonight, which I will not subject you to trying to sing, since the tune is a very difficult
1: one, is Mary, Did You Know? It was written by Mark Lowry in 1984 and he wrote a series of
0: questions that he thought he would love to have been able to ask Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Questions like, Mary, did you know that this child you've delivered will soon deliver you? Did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy is the great I Am? Over the next decades, over 10 years, Lowry tried to find music that would complete the song. 12 years after he wrote the lyrics, Buddy Green, musician and songwriter, wrote the music to the song. Its questions remind us that it is possible, even today, to miss the significance of Christ's coming into our world. We can become so preoccupied with monitoring sale prices, finding gifts, wrapping presents, hanging decorations, baking cakes, and returning unwanted presents, that we also fail to grasp the deep meaning of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is fast becoming a secular holiday. With tongue-in-cheek humor, Dave Barry described things at his children's school, quote, to avoid offending anybody, the school dropped religion altogether and started singing about the weather. At my son's school, they now hold the winter program, as they call it, in February, and they sing increasingly non-memorable songs such as Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, and This is a real song, he said. Susie Snowflake. All of which is pretty funny because we live in Miami, Florida. A visitor from another planet would assume that the children belong to the Church of Meteorology. End of quote. More ominously, as Erwin Lutzer records in his book, Hitler's Cross, quote, since Germans had for centuries celebrated Christmas and Easter, Hitler had to reinterpret their meaning. Christmas was turned into a totally pagan festival carols and nativity plays were banned from the schools in 1938, and even the name Christmas was changed to Yuletide. Lest we imagine that all that, and that's the end of quote, lest we imagine that all that ended with Hitler's death, notice how strident are the demands in our day to get people to say Happy Holidays rather than Merry Christmas, all in an attempt to erase the name of Christ from the minds of the people. On December the 3rd, 2013, American atheists launched a major billboard display that declared, quote, Christmas is better without Christ, end of quote. The huge 40 by 40 foot digital billboard was located in Times Square in Midtown Manhattan. Using motion graphics, the billboard proclaimed, quote, who needs Christ during Christmas, end of quote. A hand crosses out the word Christ and the word nobody appears to answer the question Who needs Christ during Christmas? The display then says, Celebrate the true meaning of Xmas," and offers a series of cheery words, family, friends, charity, food, snow, and more. The commercial ends with a jovial Happy Holidays from American Atheists. Such are the desperate attempts to get rid of any references to the Lord Jesus, and yet frantically grasp at the things that Christ imparts and enriches. Joy, peace, love, family ties, and charity. Tonight's meaning, hopefully, will help us all to have a biblical understanding of the historic events that make Christmas such an important and joyous time. Please pardon the lame wordplay, but if you take Christ out of Christmas, you are left with nothing but a mess. Mary, did you know? Knowledge is an invaluable thing. Let me give you an example. A clothing store in southern Florida... Mazen Hoffman, at Christmas time, used to provide wrapping paper that was money. You could buy somebody a gift, and then you could pay extra, and buy wrapping paper that was actually money. So uh, they came in uncut sheets of 32 $1 bills, and the sheets sold for $55. So if you do the math, you'll find that you paid $23 more for the privilege of getting a sheet of uncut $1 bills, and you buy somebody a new tie, and you can wrap the tie in $1 bills. Customer service said that the common complaint after Christmas was over was that people would come back with a gift receipt, they would come back with the yellow polka dot tie that they didn't want. And the man behind the counter would say, did you save the raven? No, I'm going to save the raven. You did know that that was money, didn't you? Excuse me? You did know that that was money. That was money. They didn't know. Knowledge is a very important thing. I would suggest to you that knowing, knowing Christ and the purpose for his coming is the most important knowledge that you could ever accrue, that you could ever get. So we often hear the phrase um, Jesus is the reason for the season, so i just want to take those two words and, and just for a few minutes think with you about that idea about first of all understanding the season, understanding the season. What is there? I, 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 was, I was in a home today, and there were about um, 25 people around, many of whom know very little of the gospel, and the hostess said, okay, before Mr. Higgins speaks, why don't we just go around and, and everybody say who they are, because not everybody knew everybody. Everybody just give your name, say who you are, and just mention what you think, you feel is the most important thing about the season. And so, of course, you will understand the variety of answers, family, uh, friends, giving, um, reminders about Jesus, uh, being reminded why he came, um, the world just seems to be calmer, um, obviously there were not many sales on Black Friday, and and all sorts of things about the season. What is there about this period of time that seems to make it so different from other periods of time throughout the whole year? I don't know another time when people are so kind. What is there about the season? Well, first of all, it's a time of sacrificial giving, isn't it? Images of desperate mothers frantically shopping for that, that one toy her adolescent wants so much, or a father bravely standing in line for hours just for the chance to buy that game machine that his son wants. This is a very common thing because we want to please those whom we love. Did you know that there are professional waiters now? No, I don't mean people who bring you your food in a restaurant. I mean people who will wait in line for you. You pay them, and at 2 a.m., they'll go out, stand in line at Best Buy, and hold a place for you. They are professional waiters. And so they'll stay in there, in the cold. Maybe a couple of them. Somebody will bring some hot chocolate, whatever it is. But they're waiting. They're holding your place. And if the store's going to open at 6 a.m., you just get out of bed, and you go around 5.45, and you pay him. He steps out of line. You step in the line. It was waiting for you. Why? Because this is a kind of sacrificial giving. So I'd like to ask you, using Mr. Lowry's question, let me ask you, do you know, do you know that the greatest act of sacrificial giving was on the part of God? Do you know that? That while we love to give to people whom we love, God is a giving God. He is the very epitome. Of unselfishness and generosity he loves to give he gave us this planet and the more we understand our solar system the more stunning it is that the position of this planet the supplies that are in it that even the axial tilt everything about the planet is conducive not just to life but to enjoyable life reminds me of the words where it says god has given us all things richly to enjoy i i i often get the picture in my mind of god in the garden of eden saying to adam this is all for you because he said "Of the, the trees of the garden you may freely eat. don't touch that one but all the rest is for you god loves to give he is the the epitome of generosity and he gave us his son we ruined this planet by our sins and god instead of punishing us sent his son To die so that we could be saved. His son comes into the world. He's the creator of the universe. He's the Lord of glory. He's the son of the most high God. And he's laid in a feeding trough for animals in a cave or a barn somewhere in Bethlehem. God was giving his son. And the Lord Jesus goes to Calvary and gives his life so that you could be saved. Because you see, God is a giving God. He's given us his word, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his gospel, he's offering eternal life to you. I don't know what you think about God, but I want to tell you that the God of heaven is a gracious, generous, beneficent, loving God who loves to give. I I have some some friends in Canada, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the WestJet videos at Christmas time, but WestJet is an airline In Canada, it's uh, uh, Air Canada's rival. And almost every year, I think, I've tried to track it, and as far as I can tell, they do this every year. Around Christmas time, they will do something incredibly generous. So, for instance, um, the couple I'm talking about, their daughter lived thousands of miles away. They hadn't seen her for a number of years. And there were three couples in Canada, and the Swans were one of the couples. And they were told that they had won a trip so all they were told, WestJet, they had won a trip, and they were going to be flown for free. I forget, I think it was London. They were going to be flown for free, and the hotel was free. And So one day, wow, wonderful, free trip. They get on the plane, and off they go to England. And uh, the camera, they don't, they don't realize that Every now and then they're being interviewed, but most of the time they don't realize the camera's watching them. And they're walking down the street, and they come to a, a store, and they're looking in the, in the window, looking at things for sale, and then just here, out the side comes their daughter, that they hadn't seen for years, that WestJet also flew to London. And she comes and steps right up there and says something, and they turn around and the camera's rolling, you see? And they're showing the happiness of family life that WestJet has given. Well, the one I first saw was this. People were flying from Calgary, no, Toronto to Calgary. And when they would get to a certain area in the uh, getting to near their gate, there was a machine, computer, and uh, a mechanical voice was saying, "Scan your boarding pass." And people would scan the boarding pass, and children would stand there, right? Parents would bring their little boy. Other people would stand there. What would you like for Christmas? I have a I love a new computer. I would love a a widescreen television set. See, all this. Get on their plane. As the plane is flying from Toronto to Calgary, WestJet employees in Calgary are dispatched all over the city, buying everything that the people on that flight said they wanted. So when they landed in Calgary. And they go down, you know, you know the Routine, right? And they go down to where they're going to get their luggage and the, the, the straps there, you know, hanging down. And the thing starts, the, the light goes on, you know, so you're not sitting there falling asleep. And then the, the, the belt starts, right, circulating around. And then all of a sudden, out comes a wrapped gift. And then another wrapped gift. And people kind of like, you know, where's our luggage here? What's going on? And then somebody, looked and said, hey, that's my name. And grabbed the package. And as soon as he said that, other people began to look. And hey, that's mine!" And all these packages were coming out with the names. The, they'd scan their boarding you know, pass, so the airline knew everything. Big Brother knew everything, right? And so they were all picking their gifts off of the conveyor belt. And then one employee comes over, taps the man on the shoulder. He said he wanted a big screen TV, and said, oh, you're going to have to go over to the, to the large luggage section. And he goes over there, and here is a widescreen TV, free, given. Just imagine if somebody gave you a new computer. Just imagine if somebody gave you a widescreen TV. Just imagine if somebody gave you a new car. Wouldn't that be something? And a hundred years from now, what about that car, that TV Just imagine that there's a God who wants to give you eternal life. How good is that? You know something about the season? It is a time of, if I use the big word philanthropy, I'm I'm suggesting to you it's a time where we feel love or at least concern for fellow mankind. You will notice that charities and other organizations have donation drives especially at this time of year, because they realize our hearts
1: are softer.
0: And we're thinking of others more than we usually do. You'll have to figure out why that is. Somehow it's all linked with the Lord Jesus, isn't it? But do you know that the greatest display of unconditional love was on the part of God? That while WestJet gets a lot of publicity for what they do, and while WestJet gets a whole bunch of of good feeling where people are saying to themselves, boy, if I ever fly again, I'm flying WestJet. God gets nothing. And he gives everything. Not only that, but I can assure you people would not have gotten gifts from WestJet if they had been trying to bomb the plane and destroy the company. And yet God set his love on you, the sinner. God so loved the world. You know, that's a love that sees no class distinctions. No class distinctions. No caste systems, no untouchables, no preferred group, no elite core of men and women that they have a special inside track with God. This this was more stunning to me, I should admit. This was more stunning to me. When I had meetings in a part of Canada where there are a a large number of people from India who live there, who are employed, many of them by Christians there, and I remember the the one man who trusted Christ in those meetings, he came to me one night, and and he said, it's just, to me, he said, to think, to think that God would love everybody. Because he grew up in a caste system. And and, and if you're in that kind of a system, you come in on a certain level, you're born at this level, you dare not, you dare not think about getting to this level. You live in that level, you die in that level, and they think if you're fairly good, maybe you'll come back a few inches higher on a scale. And in fact, the missionary and his two sons were burned to death some years ago were burned to death because they were daring to preach the gospel to the Dalits, to the untouchables, to the low caste. And that was not to be allowed in that country. But God sees no class distinctions. He sees no ethnic divisions. He only sees one race. And that race is the human race. And he offers salvation to every member of that human race. And it's love that sees no religious differences. God's desire for your blessing does not hinge on whether you believe in him love him go to church or hate him god still is offering you salvation there's a, a doctor paul brand i believe he is now in heaven but he was a pioneer in developing tendon transfer technology for use with people particularly for instance like lepers who had lost the use of a hand he had pioneered the uh, technology in this and had been successful. And he was working with lepers. And he was working, um, I said Africa, but I should have said India. He was working as a missionary in India. And a man had been brought by a friend. The man was a leper. His hand was greatly damaged. And they chatted together. Dr. Rand, just did this. Excuse me, just a minute. He just did this. He said, I think we're going to be able to help you. He said, it's okay. And when he did that, the leper burst into tears. And Dr. Brand said to the other one, he said, I'm sorry, have I hurt him? No, 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 no. You touched him. He hasn't been touched by a human being for years. He touched him. Because you see, to Dr. Brand, He wasn't a leper. he was a human being. To God, God doesn't look at you as a Protestant or a Catholic or a Jew. God doesn't look at you as a person who loves them or a person who hates them. God doesn't look at you as a good person or a a religious person. He looks at you as a sinner who needs Christ, who needs salvation. And that is one thing that marks our time, this idea of concern for others, the greatest concern in the heart of God. One more thing, this is a, a time, a season, where there is joy in relationships more than any other time of the year, beginning with the end of November at Thanksgiving all the way through to Christmas. There are millions of people, millions of people, traveling hundreds of miles through all sorts of weather just to be with family, just to be with people whom they love. I was in Canada having gospel meetings. This was in the, the late '80s. I couldn't believe it that I had been so stupid because I was looking at the calendar and I suddenly realized about nine days from now is Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, and I'm in a foreign country, Canada. Just the thought. Just the thought of my sister and her family coming down from Maine, of my brother coming over, of my wife getting our children and coming over, all oh, meeting at my parents' house. I had never missed a Thanksgiving in my life. So I'll give you a little hint. If you try to fly somewhere to get there for Thanksgiving, you'll pay an arm and a leg. If you're willing to fly on Thanksgiving, they'll almost pay you to fly because nobody's flying on Thanksgiving Day. So I drove from Hamilton, Ontario, to Buffalo, New York, early Thursday morning. Grabbed a flight, didn't even tell my wife. Grabbed a flight, flew to Philadelphia, made arrangements for my brother-in-law to pick me up. Knocked on my door, my wife opened the door, and there I was, whether she was happy or not. I can't tell you there I was. And I spent the day, (coughs) dinner, with my family. And I got run back to the airport, and I flew to Buffalo, and I got in my car, and I drove the hour to Hamilton. It was a 7.30 meeting. I pulled outside of the hall at exactly 7.20 after traveling all the way to Philadelphia. And that. you said, you were crazy. I never, I never begrudged any mind that I traveled. Not one, because I was with people that I But do you understand, do you know that the greatest relationship of all is when a sinner is linked with Christ, when he's brought back to God? That is what brings eternal life to a human being. It is sin that ruptured that relationship. Christ's death on the cross has regained that for you. He's made it possible for you. To be brought back to where you're supposed to be. To get home. And conversion is what restores that relationship and brings a person back to God. That's the season. What about the reason? If I understand the reason for salvation, the reason for the season, I will understand salvation. The Lord Jesus came into the world to be your Savior to rescue you. Now there is a very important little Hebrew word that comes into huge prominence and importance in this topic. And I'm going to risk trying to pronounce it here tonight, but it is something along the line of Boal or goel, And it is the word that is often translated as relative or kinsman, and very frequently you'll read about it as kinsman redeemed in order for the Lord Jesus to save you. You needed a kinsman redeemer. An angel couldn't die for you because you're not an angel. You needed someone like you who would be willing to die. And so the Lord Jesus became our kinsman redeemer because first of all, he had to be like us He had to be a human. And so that brings into focus some of the most important foundational truths of the Christian faith. The Immaculate Conception. If you pass a building and it's called the Immaculate Conception, I can assure you, it is not what the Bible is talking about. I can assure you, 90% of the time, those words are not referring to the conception of the Lord Jesus. They're referring to the conception of Mary. But Mary was not conceived immaculately. Mary came into the world as a sinner. The immaculate conception was the one time when Christ entered the human race. He was in heaven without a mother, and he was down here without a father. He came by way of virgin birth. Linked to that is the great truth of the incarnation. God becoming flesh. God being manifested in a body. The virgin birth. Adam brought sin and death into the world. And so God promised that the seed of of a woman, not the seed of man, the seed of a woman would redeem the race. But you see, because sin came in through the man, not Eve, Adam was the one to blame. Because sin came in through a man, it was going to have to be a man that would resolve the problem. Why did Christ come as a male and not a female? He had to come as a man because it was man that had wrecked the planet. He had to come by way of a woman and not a man because his birth would have to be immaculate. He had to be like us in order to be our kinsman redeemer. But he had to be unlike us in order to be our kinsman redeemer. He had to be unlike us he is unlike you and me number one because he is sinless and impeccable this is what lends if i could use a a word we don't often use this is what lends vicarious import to his sufferings on the cross he was absolutely without sin it wasn't that he didn't sin that's true But it was that he could not have sinned and in his impeccable purity in his sinlessness he offered himself up the bible says without spot to god not like you and me because we're sinners and he is sinless but he's not like you and not like me because he is not a mere human being he is the eternal son of god And that is what lends infinite value to what he did on the cross. You could not limit the value of what he did because you cannot limit the value of Christ to God. And so that's why the Bible says he gave himself a ransom for all. So those two things. He had to be like us. He had to be a human being. He had to be unlike us. He had to be absolutely sinless and he had to be more than just a mere man. And then the book. we could have done that could have coerced them there's nothing we could have said there's nothing we could have done that would have forced him to leave heaven and become one of us and link himself with humanity for eternity there's nothing we could have done that would have compelled him to do that but he came because he loved you and gave himself for you now what are you going to do tonight with that Great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. The book I mentioned about the other night, Leaves from an African Jungle. There's a story in that book that um, deeply impressed me. Crawford Allison was talking about an African named Sakatoka. He was actually a slave of a very powerful man in northern Angola. His master... The slave's master was called Great Leopard. He was a chief. Crockett Allison knew the man. Sankatoga had a pretty easy life. He was a slave and he had a pretty easy life because the chief's other slaves got all of the grunt problems. who was the chief's favorite, he was never really pushed. See? And he got the best of the food. The others just picked up scraps, but he, he, was living, he was living pretty well for a slave. And one day he was summoned to the chief because his, his relatives, from a great distance had children. They'd come carrying packages. They'd laid the packages down before the king. They had said to, to, to Great Lover, they'd said, we've come to, to, to ransom, to redeem our relative. And we brought these gifts to pay for his freedom. And Psychotoker comes and hears all this. He panics. In fact, his words, his words were that if I go back with you, I don't have to work like you. No, no, I want to say he fell at the feet of his slave master and he begged to stay. Well, in one sense, the chief was looking at all those gifts and thought how much he liked them, but the decision was made. Sakatoka would say, he remained asleep. His relatives could hardly understand it, but they picked up their goods the next day and they headed home. Sakatoka returned to his cushy job. You understand that people had to respect him because he was the chief's pet. So one morning it was a very surprising thing to him when two natives were standing outside his gate or his hut entrance, and yelled at him to come out. And he came to the door and he said, what are you yelling about? They said, you have to come with us. He said, where? And they grabbed him. He said, what are you doing? And he said, they said, great leopard has died. Do you know what the custom was? When a chief died, you sent people with it into the next world. And they'd come for a second to it. He fell on his knees. And he said to the warrior who was in front of him, he didn't even see the man behind him with the accents in him. He said to the warrior in front of him, Call for my relatives. They will redeem me. Call for them. They will. He was still spitting out the words. And they asked. over dead and his body's thrown into the grave what great leopard was. Because when the redemption was available, he said no. And then when he wanted it, it was too late. Now there's somebody who left heaven for you and died on a cross for you. And every one of us tonight needs to ask ourselves, what am I going to do with this great kinsman redeemer? Do you know, do you know that the greatest blessing that can come to a human being is to have that kinsman redeemer as yours? Trust him tonight, and you'll go home redeemed and forgiven and saved. Father, we bow in thy presence in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are thankful for each one who has come, and we give grateful thanks to thee for thy beloved son and for what he accomplished at Calvary when he shed his blood. We ask for thy blessing on this audience, praying for the salvation of a precious soul tonight, as we give thanks in the Savior's precious name. Amen. Number 20. <clears throat> in number 20, Not among him, so we'll sing a whole hymn. What child is this? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap asleep sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch, are keeping. This, this is Christ, the King. Number 20.
1: What child is this today?